Before we start the show, I want to give you a limited time offer. If there is anything keeping you from subscribing to Digiday Plus, our premium membership program, this should help get you over the line. Just for you, our podcast listeners, um, for a limited time, we have a three-month subscription to Digiday Plus for a mere $49. That's 70% off. Um, Digiday Plus members get access to unlimited number of articles, exclusive research, and much more. You get invites to live podcast recordings, for instance. Um, visit digiday.com slash subscribe and use intro at checkout. That is I-N-T-R-O. I hope you give it a try. Like many publishers, Condé Nast had a rough and tumble 2018. But Pam Druckerman, Condé's CRO, says it is not all doom and gloom at the home of Vogue, Vanity Fair, The New Yorker, and other titles. In fact, the admitted challenges on the print side of the business can overshadow successful growth areas, in particular those around video and subscriptions. I'm Brian Marcy, and this is the Digiday Podcast. On today's episode, Pam and I discuss why video will continue to be a focus at Condé, how uh, the subscription plan across all Condé Nast titles in the United States will roll out, and also why Condé is putting its Snapchat efforts, quote, on pause. Hope you enjoy the episode. Pam, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. 2018, a year of change. Mm -hmm. A year of change at Condé. Um... Talk about that a little bit. I mean, a lot is going on, obviously, on the in the overall media landscape, um, but a lot specifically at Conde. Yeah, we had a big year. Um, you know, we. I think that you know one of the big statements I made at our national sales summit, which was in third quarter of 2018, was. You know, we are transitioning from a publishing company to a media company. And so for us, that transition had uh, many different factors. One part, you know, what we were making and where we were making it. So we were saying, like, you know, the world is our O&O. We're making content on all platforms. Mm-hmm. And starting to really think differently about whether or not being the distributor is something we need to be doing. Um, so that's one. Two, how we are productizing our content on multiple platforms. So we really, you know, just came through our first upfront season in digital video. So that was a big change for us in terms of not only, you know, productizing our content in that space, but actually being a real player um, and just navigating those waters. And then uh, third, I would say, you know, how we executed against that. So creating a structure that was, uh, I think, very different than um, what our structure was in the past. Um, Reorgs are always fun. Uh, but that was, it was, you guys have had a few, we've had a few. I feel like this one was, uh, this one felt a little different though, but this was, um, this was explain why this, this one was important. Um, cause you know, like the, the the news comes out, Condé's having a reorg and people are like, Oh no. Yeah. That's everyone's favorite topic. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think for us it was about progress. So, you know, being a media company means that, you know, you're, you are trying to streamline your efforts and, um, you know, focus in a new way. And that means one, really taking a look at our talent. Um, Two, like understanding that we want to move a lot faster. Mm -hmm. And three, you know, if we have a strategic plan that we want to execute against, we need to be set up to succeed, right? So, you know, one of the things, just as one example, since you ask, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I think about a client uh, like L'Oreal, as an example, they don't need 10 people selling them the same thing. They need 10 people potentially selling them different things, right? So just really changing the way that and reorienting our way around um, what it meant to, you know, kind of be a new company in this space and 
if you think about video as an example, in some ways it's more of an audience-based sell than it is mm-hmm. like a brand-based sell, right? So if you have um, if you have an org set up as individual brands with individual brand sellers, it doesn't really allow you to sell audience at scale. Yeah. So just making shifts like that, and um, it was really fun actually, like putting together this plan that was, you know, meant to I would say modernize. Um, a business that we hadn't modernized in a really long time. What what specifically needed outside of um, the organizational structure? Yeah. What specifically needed to be organ? Uh, I'm sorry, modernized. Um, I think again, we we were a company that made magazines that sold magazines. So it was very one to one. So mm-hmm. um, we had an organization that had very individual siloed businesses and those siloed businesses you know in some ways were competitive with each other inside our walls um but you know as the world kind of shifted and and you know content became more analogous and it wasn't just about content for individual magazines it was content for i mean we you know we Mm -hmm. produce four we have 14 billion global views in digital video every year right and a lot of what we're selling in terms of that product is audience-based it's not Mm brand-based and so um, it's but really, the brands are what made Conde. I mean, that's got to be hard because yeah. you're you're trying to balance both, right? The the modern digital media right. world is very audience based, but at the same time, what makes Conde Nast unique is these amazing iconic brands. Yeah, you just nailed it. So, <laughs> so how do you it, square that? So you gotta you, you gotta be able to do both, right? So we weren't doing both. We were still very good at articulating like our brand value, and I think I would argue, you know, one thing that hasn't changed to your point is we still have amazing iconic iconic brands that create culture. Um, and we've just expanded where we're putting that culture. But in terms of how we were monetizing that, we were still we were we were still set up to sell an older an old business with an old business model, not a new business with a new business model. So my point is, you know, there are a variety of ways to sell GQ now on a variety of platforms. Um, but the fact is is that our biggest partners, they want to buy you know, they want to buy all that Connie Nass has to offer. In some cases, they want to buy women 25 to 54 across multiple brands with that drive multiple impressions. They're mm-hmm. looking for performance, uh, you know, performance marketing. They're looking for us to be able to prove that we can drive top of the funnel metrics to bottom of the funnel metrics. So though we still have and it's will continue to be, I think, what makes us distinct, these, you know, iconic brands that. I think in the attention economy, one could argue we're probably getting more attention than some of our competitors or some of the other just content companies out there. We now have this ability to help our advertisers um, uh, surround themselves uh, against uh, surround this content in in more, I would say, impactful ways Mm -hmm. Um, and in more, you know, I would say productive ways and more efficient ways. So what are the biggest challenges on the revenue side that Conde faces? I mean, I think. The obvious is that, you know, consumers' behaviors have shifted. And though print continues to be a part of what consumers love from a content perspective, it's not all that they love. Mm-hmm. Um, and their their attention is now in a lot of different places. They spend a lot of time on social media. They spend a lot of time in linear television. They spend a lot of time, uh, you know, searching for, you know, places to go shop. I mean, they're in a lot of different places. And so for us... Um, which kind of goes back to the point I was making before is, you know, one, we had to make a really big decision as a company that we were going to, you know, find a way to connect with those consumers on other platforms, like in social, in digital video, that we were going to make a concerted effort to get really good at that. Um, 
And when we started making digital video five years ago, we kind of sucked at it. So, you know, here was this really great iconic company that was really great at making content for magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't our, that wasn't what we were good at, right? So, um, so one is like, I would say from a revenue perspective, we've had to really make a transition, right? Because we're not just, we weren't just selling magazines anymore, but we come from a world where we were at the top of the heap. Like our revenue was really driven by print advertising. Yeah. Um, so in a way, I, I kind of define this as, I would say 2018 was really like the tale of two companies. So one part of our company was growing and thriving at, at you know really giant percentages of growth. I mean, video. I think we grew fifty eight percent last year. Um, our web business and our and our and our performance marketing business grew like you know eleven percent last year. And so mm-hmm. we have we had a lot of growth in consumer revenue. I mean, New Yorker, our you know our, the first brand that ever went behind a paywall, had a tremendous amount of success last year. Um, but we also are up against this declining marketplace shift. Uh, in print revenue, right? So it's if you were to look at one side of our company, you'd say, wow, you guys killed it. And if you look at the other side of our company, it's like, well, we're still dealing with, you know, erosion in, in you know, consumer behavior and and also erosion mm-hmm. in advertisers and where they're putting their money. Putting, and that's not a Conde issue. That's a that's just the a, a, a market. Yeah, I mean, I think... Consumers are doing that. I mean, I, I would say this, though. One thing that's unique to Conde Nast there, though, is I think we have a, we had a couple of brands that, you know... Um, you know, we're really proud of the print product we make, and we still mm-hmm. put a lot of, I would just say, efficacy in in the quality of that product and in the audience that we deliver. And uh, I would say that for those reasons, we were very successful print advertising company. And so um, I think we had, you know, that that as the marketplace shifted, I think in some ways we had more to lose um, than maybe other companies did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with that said, I think the I think the love that the advertising market has for these brands, it has allowed them to embrace us in digital video faster. It has allowed us to mm-hmm. embrace, you know, what we're doing in the social face space faster. So it's kind of it's it's it it's been hard, but at the same time, it's actually been attributed to mm-hmm. I think the growth that we've seen other places. So on the commercial side, has your competitive set changed? And I'm thinking about Instagram here because I would think that Instagram actually is a big rival actually of yours for a lot of your clients because Instagram advertising has exploded and you mentioned L'Oreal they're dumping lots of money in, into Instagram they're not targeting me but um, <laughs> if I was you know wearing makeup uh, they would be able to target me sure um, has the competitive set changed to to include someone like uh, Instagram I think you know the answer to that well I have to ask questions that I do. Of course, answer. You're yeah. Listening to the Daily, Michael Barbaro always I does mean, that. He's like so Paul Manafort. So He's acting like he doesn't Facebook understand. Facebook as a competitor. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yes, of course. Like, uh, you know, it's an interesting relationship, though. Like, I, you know, it's it's they're 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 competitors and they're partners at the same time. So yeah. I think that's what's unique is that we create a lot of content for these platforms. Um, I I do think. But what do you say to L'Oreal? Like, why why shouldn't they just dump it all in into Instagram? And and why should they? What what can you guys do that Instagram can't? Well, first and foremost, um, we've so for you know, listen, we are we've found a way to build a relationship with Facebook and Instagram that actually feels a little bit more equal, in which. We create content, we are building audiences, and we actually developed a product called Amplify in partnership with Facebook that allows our advertisers, advertisers like L'Oreal, to buy our brand handles experience. So mm-hmm. we bought a company called CitizenNet over two years ago. They were Facebook's original API. They're a social agency. 
um, and we work with many of our advertisers who come to us to say, hey, in addition to target audience and personalization, we want to be in the right environment. We want to be a part of Vogue's community. We want to be a part of GQ's community. And we're seeing like crazy results, right? So in that case, L'Oreal is giving us and Facebook money. And that feels very democratic to me. And I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're happy to be on the Instagram platform, but I'm more happy to be on that platform when I can monetize it, right? Yeah. And so at the end of the day, like that is that is where, you know, for us, it isn't just like the world is our O&O and this is great. We're going to create content for all platforms. No, the world is our O&O and we're going to create content for platforms in which we can monetize. So um, that goes directly to our, our relationship and partnership with YouTube. It goes directly to our relationship and partnership with Facebook and Instagram. And that's not something that's been going on for five years. That's something that's been going on for 13 months, right? So mm-hmm. I think that is an important difference. Are you skipping platforms where you can't make money? Yes, without Snapchat. a doubt. We are very much taking a pause. Uh, um, let me put it this way. We have two, there's two um, objectives, okay? One is we want to meet our audiences where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, two, we want to take our audiences to places they've never been. There's three objectives I lied. The third is we want to monetize those experiences. It really doesn't. We're, we're running a business, right? So yeah. at the end of the day, if we can't monetize what we are bringing to the table and how we're connecting with that consumer, whether that's on the Snap platform or anywhere else, like we, we just can't spend our time there. We have to prioritize where we have the ability to make money off of our amazing content and our ability to earn those consumers' attention. Okay. Right? So you're pausing. You mentioned pausing. Pause is a good answer because it doesn't mean forever, yeah. but it means right now. It's like bring us the money. Yeah. And then and then we'll see. It seems to me that there's two key things that I would guess that, that you got to be focused on. Yeah. It's video because you've mentioned video a bunch of times and, and video gets high CPMs. So that's, that's good. Um, and the other is subscriptions because I don't see well, how you have premium brands that thrive in a digital media environment on like, you know, display ads and stuff. So, well, let me let me just talk about why I'm obsessed with video for a second. And then I do want to talk about subscriptions because yeah. I think that's a I think that's something that people are overcomplicating that I actually think is quite simple. Right. Um, video is a really amazing platform for Condé Nast in particular because we are, you know, what I love about video is you have the ability to create a real quality product, and quality matters in the video space. Also, I think you have the ability to go a lot deeper. So if you think of the categories that are really endemic to Condé, like where we've had, I would say we've led, whether that's in tech with brands like Wired or fashion with brands like Vogue. It's a very, these are very visual categories. These are very deep categories. It's really hard to do that um, in the web space, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's very like one dimensional. And, and interestingly enough, people talk about print as one dimensional, but it actually wasn't because you had this very visual canvas. Um, and so I think video allows us to do what we do well. I think in addition to that, it's actually allowed us to really expand our brands and develop our brands further and think um, to dimensionalize what these brands could be, you know. And so you know, we have like, I don't know, 250 blockbuster series now on YouTube. And so many of these these blockbusters are, you know, were built off the backs of these brands. But so they've really expanded what these brands are. And they've also influenced in some ways like, what these brands look like in experiential now or what these brands look like, you know, in the magazine now. Right. So that's just a really exciting platform. It's really fun for us. Um, And like I said, we've gotten really good at it. We've got unbelievable completion rates. And I'm really excited about long form because it'll, you know, I will tell you when you think about digital video, this has been a short form Mm -hmm. uh, platform. And 
I think consumers are now willing to watch content for a lot longer if it's good. And uh, one of my favorite things to say is, in the marketplace, there's not a scarcity of digital video content now. In fact, there's too much content. But there is a scarcity of good content. And so ultimately, users are looking for the ultimate in curation. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we have the permission to win, right? Because we already have that that reputation going in. Good content sounds expensive. No, that's that's what's awesome is that good content has nothing to do with price. Good content has everything to do with quality. And I think you probably know this. There's Mm -hmm. a gazillion restaurants in New York City that, uh, you know, definitely don't cost anything but and there's some bad, expensive restaurants. Exactly. So I don't know why. So good doesn't always mean expensive. Good can just mean better. Um, so I'll talk. So you want to talk subscriptions? Yeah, but but, but right. before that, I mean, you got to make money off, off yeah. of um, the the video content, even if you're not like breaking the bank and doing um, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, explain that because I mean, a lot of the distribution takes place off um, off YouTube, I would guess. Um, and what do you mean off YouTube? Well, I mean, I mean, on YouTube. Yeah, on yeah. YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Okay, on, okay. off. Okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure we're talking about on platforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Software. Not, 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 not in a, in a player on, yeah. on the website. Um, where is the monetization on that front, though? I mean, I know you're going to be at the the new fronts and. Yeah. You know. So we, um, our strategy is we make content on our O and O, right, where we control the distribution completely. And then with partners where we have a rev share that makes sense for our business, that is where we, as I said earlier, that's where we are focusing our energy. So right now, um, two things. One is we really believe in the YouTube player, right? We believe that's how many of our audiences are actually finding video content is through search and through trending videos. Um, And we have a lot of scale there. So we have, number one, a great business model and a really strong partnership with YouTube. We monetize those rights exclusively. Um, it also allows us to add, you know, guarantee things like brand safety and an environment that is very much Condé Nast. People aren't going, you know, most people are not finding video through like the YouTube homepage. You know, they're going through, uh, they're, they're finding video through search, right? So they're going right into the Condé Nast experience. And there's many ways we can monetize that platform. In addition to CPM, there's CPV, there's mid-roll, there's, there's integration, and we have a lot of exciting new products coming with YouTube. So video next year. is is like an is a nicely profitable yeah business. It's an amazing business for us. Okay, and YouTube is a good partner. They're a great partner. Okay, are you doing Facebook Watch? We are. So uh, good question. So we have. Um, uh, Although they hate when you call it Facebook Watch, it's just Watch <laughs> Show Pages. We have some content. So we have a, a, a kind of like a. There's we do have a partnership with them. Um, in terms of, they just launched a product that's in competition with Google Preferred, mm-hmm. and we are not participating in that right now because of, you know, the fact that we are just taking a wait and see. One, like, I really want to see that experience evolve, right? From a consumer perspective, it hasn't been the best consumer experience. Facebook Watch, yeah. um, it's I awkward. think I think they're working really hard to make it better, and I think I have no doubt that mm-hmm. that. They have the right people working on it. Well, they can't lose. I mean, they can't. This is well, one they, they could. can't. They could, but I'm just saying. I mean, like from like a strategic standpoint, you could turn an entire like, podcast into what yeah. could happen. But <laughs> I, could, this could be a good new spinoff podcast. Yeah, could, what could happen? But what I will tell you is, for us, we are finally in a position where we can be agile. Right? We don't need to be on watch. We don't need to be uh, anywhere else. We're big enough, exactly where we are right now. You so, can say no. 
we can we are saying no. So we, you know, sometimes more is just more. We're trying to be better. We've got enough scale. Um, right now, we're trying to focus on, you know, having the most engaging, best content experience. And that is like our distinct competitive edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I hope the bar continues to be raised there because everyone's going to have to work harder, not for advertisers, but for consumers. If you want their attention, you got to be better. And our our objective is, is that if we're better in that space and we're attracting more audience because our content is that good, then we'll attract more advertisers too. I want to take a quick break here um, to tell you about a live podcast event we are hosting in New York City. Um, this is going to be held at the Group 9 headquarters, and I will be speaking with Krista Carone. She is the president of Group 9 Media. This will be taking place on April 10th at 5.30 p.m. Please come by. Uh, Krista and I are going to probably zero in on a lot of the issues that we talk about here on the DJ podcast every week, which basically revolve around how can you make a sustainable media business? Um, I think this is more pressing than ever at a publisher like Group 9. Many of its uh, fellow large venture-backed publishers have run into problems lately, so I'm going to press Krista on that. If you want to reserve a place here, uh, please reach out to our producer, Aditi Sangal. Email her at aditi at digiday.com. That is A-D-I-T-I. And she will get you all set up. Hope to see you there. Um, And now back to the episode. Okay, let's talk subs. Yep. The pivot to paid. There we go. Uh, um, uh, You guys talked about this at the end of the year. I think it was the end of the year. Um, The beginning of the year. Was it the beginning of the year? Yeah. It it, it all runs together for me. Um, You talked about moving um, more of the titles, all the titles? All of the titles. All of the titles. Why all? Why not? Uh, Well, because some might not be, um, I don't know, different models. What's going to happen? People won't subscribe. Yeah. So- um, there's there's multiple. So first of all, just to be clear, we made like a concerted effort as a company. Um, the, there's no ego in this, but we really work hard and believe in the direct to consumer relationship that we have. Um, we have a lot of equity in our brands, and you know, there's of course there's a lot of you know analytics and research that go into any successful paywall strategy. For us, though, it started with the fact that. You know, we want to focus on the fact that all of our brands should be good enough for a consumer to want to raise their hand and pay for it. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of ironic because everyone's so like, oh, my God, you're going to ask, you know, all of these people to potentially pay for your brand. Like, well, what do you think we've been doing in the magazine business all this time? And Mm -hmm. no one like had a problem with that. I love that no one's asking the question about whether or not we were we've got people subscribing to our magazines. I mean, that's a business that like has been around a very long time. Mm -hmm. So to me, this isn't like net new. I think, um, you know, consumers, why why wasn't it done earlier then? Because I think consumers at the jump, when, when the web business first, you know, when websites first went up, like everything was free. And so, you know, there was a consumer expectation and I think there was a fear that, you know, if all of a sudden you start charging people for content that they wouldn't pay for it. I think that, you know, number one, I think consumers have totally shifted. And if you look at any SVOD model, if you've got a good content experience and there's lots of other things that come with that, I think bottom line, consumers are willing to pay for something that they want, that they like, that's good, that delivers on the promise. Um, And so number one, you know, we believe in our brands and we believe in the content that we make and the integrity that goes into making that content. Um, we've had a brand. So again, we didn't just like 
you know, point to the sky and say like, okay, let's just throw it all up there. I mean, we do have three of our brands behind a consumer paywall mm-hmm. today already that are very different brands with very different audiences that have a very different promise and a very different, um, I would say, efficacy. So what lessons did you learn yep. from, from that? I mean, that's the New Yorker, yeah. uh, Wired, and what's three? So New Yorker, Wired, and Vanity Fair. Okay. Yeah. So the lessons that we learned was, number one, it's not one size fits all. So New Yorker and what is making the New Yorker successful uh, behind the paywall is not exactly what's making Wired successful behind their paywall or Vanity Fair because the audiences are so different and the drivers are so different. Like, the, you know, the product that 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 and creates the price points. Well, the price points, but the price points have all shifted. I mean, the New Yorker, when it launched, was a totally different price than what it is today. So that is kind of fluid. I don't I don't know if I agree that it's like, well, Vanity Fair is going to be worth this and New Yorker is going to be worth that. Um, but I do agree that the New Yorker may be worth this today, might be worth something else like three years from now, right? Mm -hmm. So I do think that's a little bit fluid. Um, I also will say, so it's not one size fits all, but I will say what we've seen, which is really interesting, is that when we put Wired behind the consumer paywall as an example, it actually improved consumer engagement. um, And it actually, which was not something we were expecting at all. We were, you know, and what's great about a metered approach, and there's many different paywalls, um, but our approach is the metered one is that, you know, listen, you can set the meter wherever you want. So for us, like there's no there's only like no, there's almost nothing to lose. You can set the mm-hmm. meter at 10. You can set the meter at four. You know, you can pull it back if it's not working. You can you know push it up when it is. Um, and it meters actually really give you an idea of how to learn, like what your consumer interests are. Um, the products mm-hmm. that are really driving the like, hey, I want to sign up versus the products that are not. So you're going to take a metered approach to all of the publications and the meter itself is going to be, is it going to be a dynamic paywall or is it going to be like, Hey, you get four articles and then you need to subscribe. So I'll let you know once we've put all of our brands <laughs> you behind can let the me paywall. Know now. <laughs> I don't have the answer yet. Okay. I'll be at the next podcast. I'll let you know. But, um, I think that ultimately like, you know, I would say that, that, that in some cases they may be dynamic in some cases they may not. Um, but even more than that, it's not just subscription. Like, listen, we are we are diversifying our revenues, and we're finding other ways um, to develop a direct to consumer relationship. And so, we just made an announcement about AD Pro, which is you yeah. know more of a membership model. So, I would say like the broad theme here is consumer pay, right? Yeah. And um, and it'll take different um, appearances. Yeah, 100%. It may have take totally different shapes, but it's kind of funny because people are, you know, we have a very specific and focused ad strategy and we have a very specific and focused consumer strategy. And of course, it is better to have a diverse revenue strategy than it is to have one model, right? Yeah. Um, Everyone agrees on that now. Right? Everyone agrees on that. So yeah, like we're going to try a lot of different things. Um, some of them are going to work and some of them are not yeah. going to work. Unless you're like Google or Facebook. It's like you can you can have just ads. Um, totally. <laughs> or maybe that, not based on your new podcast not. that you're going to develop. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, you must have heard from ad salespeople complaining about this. Um, you put up a paywall. There's the audience is going to be smaller. Uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to sell as much. It's terrible. Yeah. We're not gonna make my numbers. So nobody at our company is complaining <laughs> because they know that we haven't had any audience decline in any of our brands. But that how are can you not have audience decline if Do, you're putting? Uh, should up... we go back to the meter definition again? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so the metered approach allows you to like legitimately adjust based on any sort of dips or any sort of, so declines or inclines, right? 
Um, so we have not had that problem. And, you know, you can look at the three brands since they've been behind the, pre- the paywalls and you can look at the, the audience um, you can look at the audience growth. In fact, all three brands have had audience growth during this process, not the other way around. And this is kind of maybe provocative, maybe too provocative for this podcast, but I'm going to go out oh, on a limb. Go for it. I'm going to throw a big situation out. But it's shade to the podcast, maybe it's possible it's that when you put a paywall up, maybe it actually drives audience. Maybe saying that this is worth paying for actually makes consumers believe they want it more and it attracts more people. And I will say that what's great about Meter, just to get more tactical and less like sticky, is that... Um, it doesn't like in in no way does it stop the people that are coming through search that have never been to the brand before. A lot of the one a lot of traffic is driven by one and dones and a lot of traffic is mm-hmm. driven by loyalists. So meter is kind of brilliant because it allows you to still like hold on to both, right? So we want to get people that are obsessed with reading uh you know you know the Oscars are here and they like have to read everything that Vanity Fair has to say and they're going to you know they're going to look for that content, they're going to find that content. And this also definitely super serves the audience that comes back multiple times. And if they are coming back multiple times, well, then that tells you this is someone that's probably willing to pay for it. Right. So, again, now, listen, at the end of the year, so advertising the, forecast will not be negatively impacted no. by we shouldn't be. Media. Yeah, I don't think that would be a good idea for us. So I think we're we are we're bullish about this. Um, and again, this is not you know, we, we do have three great examples so far. But um, we'll see what where we are a year from now. Right. You know? Okay. And that's, these are all coming this year. So the goal is that by the end of this year, um, we are all of our brands are behind some sort of metered paywall. And then in terms of our ability to really start like focusing on which brands are working and what the specific bespoke strategies are by brand, that will shape out into 2020. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of, of paywall fatigue? I mean, a lot, uh, this is not like completely unique. There's a lot of paywalls out there. There's a lot of people with subscription programs, membership programs. Um, if you total them up, it's quite a lot. I Again, like, I don't know if this is just me, but like no other content in the world was free. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you wanted to watch cable, you had to have you know, you had to pay for it. If you wanted to go to the movies, you had to pay for it. You wanted to rent a movie, you had to pay for it. Netflix came around, you wanted to get movies every month, you had to pay for it. I mean, I, I don't know what to say, but like, <laughs> like this is the world. Like, you know, I, I think that the idea that it's going to fatigue is, is not necessarily the case, but what I think will happen is that some brands will do better than others. And I think it will probably like shake out in a way that like not all brands will be worth paying for. And so that really could put a a different shift on how we even evaluate, right? Like successful brands versus not successful brands. Like if, I mean, just see, can you imagine a world where it's like, oh my God, your entire model is just advertising. I mean, consumers won't pay for it. I can imagine that world because it's the world that we're living in. Right. But what I'm saying is, is like, (laughs) how will people be judging that at that point? Right. If you've got all these other brands that are like, no, consumers pay for these. I'll just leave it at this. Like. When I first started working at Connie Nast and I uh, used to take the six train, you know, AM New York, that free newspaper that like people mm-hmm. used to hand out, I, like people used to be like, well, I mean, you know, I'm not going to, our advertisers didn't want to advertise there because it was free. The web world, as we know it, has really been that, right? So it's like literally been this, this world of just 
access and content at our disposal, which has has been great. But I do think now with so much content, I think the the the, the pay for model allows consumers to curate their experience a little bit. Mm-hmm. But won't it also require um, a bundler, like an Apple? Um, I think that one could argue that that at any given time. Um, there will be some sort of need for more curation. But that doesn't mean that like Apple or, you know, I think it's fair game for anyone to a certain extent, right? I think, uh, but I also will just argue that consumers have kind of ran from the idea of bundling, which is why the whole cable world fell down. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know if that is what consumers are going to want. Um, I think if you look at OTT in and of itself, it's, it's a world that's kind of begging for, a, for bundling on the inside of it. But yet... It's not really what consumers want. They want control and, and they don't want someone to like necessarily bundle everything for them. Mm-hmm. So what, you know, one will see. I think there's lots of potential there, though. OK, final thing is around brand safety. These things yeah. keep flaring up. It should benefit, um, you know, companies like yours greatly if marketers actually backed up their tweets with their actual spending decisions. Do you think that, I mean, will this focus on on brand safety ever really trickle down to those who are, um, you know, putting a lot of time, effort, and resources into creating quality and yes, brand safe content? So here's my analogy for you. It may not be a may not be a good one, but <laughs> okay. here it is. So, you know, this horrible like plane crash that just happened, right? Which is like the second of this like same what is it the seven thirty seven Max model yeah. or whatever it is. That now it's every got a brand problem for sure. Total brand problem now. And uh, we can go deep into and a that. The flying problem. The reality is, though, the first crash didn't change it. No one was grounding planes. Second crash, all of a sudden, now everyone's grounding planes. Everyone's like taking a deep and concerted look. So, I mean, I feel the same about brand safety. It usually takes a little bit more of a tragedy. Something tragic has to happen to really wake people up. I think we're kind of in the first crash phase right now. Um, people are paying attention. They're like, I don't know if I want to get on that airline, but like no one's grounding any planes yet. I think, um, but I think it's going to come. I think that, that, you know, marketers, you know, that win that they can't be too careless there because I think that really could impact um, their brands in really, really serious ways. And so I think we're getting closer. I don't think we're 100 percent there yet. So I think it's it's going to take a little bit more before brand safety is actually leading versus I think it's a supporting role right now, mm-hmm. not necessarily a leading. Um, but I think we're getting closer. Okay. Pam, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you all for listening. Our producer is Aditi Sangal. Um, quick shout out this week for Gordon Plutsky, who took to Twitter to discuss the merits of antitrust action versus Google and Facebook with our podcast guest, Dina Srinivasan. Gordon had called the episode thought-provoking. In a similar vein, Christian Nieri um, said that that episode was a, quote, great listen and easily could have been five hours. That is a bit extreme, Christian, but um, thank you again. If you like this show, hope you do, please leave a rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps uh, us find new listeners. Um, You can also write me with feedback. I am brian at digiday.com or tweet at me. I am at bmarcy on Twitter or you can go on LinkedIn, whatever whatever you want. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks again. We'll be back next week.